Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the, for the life you've given us, the joy that we have in you. And uh, Lord, as we come around your word this morning, open it to our hearts. Move our hearts. Stir our hearts by your Holy Spirit as, as these eternal words speak even today, even here. Lord, speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, come with me to Philippians 2. I can't believe it's been, what, this is week five, and we're still in Philippians 2. But that's okay. This is a rich text. So I'm going to read this to you and then dive right into this. So Paul is speaking to his church in Philippi, and he says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus, Philippians 2.19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that surely I myself will be able to come also. I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am eager the more to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. What a, what a picture, what a window into the life of Paul and the early church and the toing and froing and people coming and going. And what, a, what an amazing picture written by Paul in probably Rome in prison, directing affairs, <laughs> directing his people, uh, the, his, his friends, the servants of the church here and there, Timothy the faithful, Epaphroditus, we'll explore who they are in a minute, but, but don't you see this beautiful love come through? Don't you see this passion that he has for his friends and concern for his church and how there's this such love? And, and even though they're separated like huge distances, you know, we, we, we almost need to remind ourselves this is pre-internet days. All right, obviously it was. But, but we, we live in such worlds where, of course, they'll just send a message or something, you know, or they'll just jump in a car or a plane or I, it's, it's just such a different world of letters and horse, if you're lucky, but mostly walking. It's a different world. And so, so to be communicating by a letter is, is such a different deal. But you get this incredible heartbeat of Paul moving through. We, we are hardwired to need friends. Did you know that? Yeah. Have you ever tried to live alone for any more than a day? <laughs> It's hard. It's really, we need friends. We are wired for friends. And if you think even God sought friendship. I mean, sometimes I think, weren't you, weren't you comfortable, God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit? 
And they were, you know, they're self-contained. They don't need anything. But why would they create people? (laughs) A whole lot of pain. It's for friendship. Like God sought out Adam in the garden. Adam, where are you? Let's hang out. God sought out friendship with Moses. He used to talk face to face, God and man, as with a friend. God. And even Jesus, when he came to earth, modeled friendship. Did you know that Jesus had a best friend? His name was John. John. And if you read John's gospel, uh, it's kind of cute. John says, it describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loves. It doesn't mean that Jesus didn't love the other disciples. But, but Jesus and John had this special thing. And then there was, there was Peter, James, and John, like the three. So wherever they were doing something special, like going up a mountain or going to pray for someone sick, he'd, he'd grab. He'd say, come with me, Peter, James, and John. It's like he's, he's cultivating an inner friendship with these men, mentoring discipleship, but friendship. You see Jesus with, with the friends at, at Bethany. That's Lazarus and, and Mary and Martha, the, the three brothers and sisters who live in this place. And it's kind of like a bit of a refuge for Jesus. He goes and sort of stays there with them. Not ministry partners, not servants, just friends. So Jesus modeled friendship. He modeled the need to have friends all the time. Jesus had the one, the three, the 12, the 100 circles of friendship. How are, how are your friendship muscles? How are they? How is your friendship world? Post-COVID, it's well documented how people are kind of nervous stepping out in friendships at the moment. Trying to find how to keep in touch. You know, we've been told for so long to social distance. Now we log on, log off. The instant that Zoom meeting is finished, now I'm back home with my, with my project. And then there's the ongoing impact of social media. Like that's revolutionizing the way we do friends. It, it really is. We did, we did, what, what's a friend on, on Facebook? Really, some are friends. Some are kind of connections, some are followers. So, so how, do, how do we deal with this very interesting emerging world of friends? And how do we do this thing called friendship today in this generation in our world? Well, I think we can, we can learn some things from Paul's interactions with his friendships. Because Paul says to honor such men. Clearly, he's got a lot going on and some good things there that we could learn from. So, there's Timothy. Timothy is about 15 years younger, we think, Paul. Paul mentors Timothy. Timothy had a, a Jewish mom and a, and a Greek father. And somehow, he picked up Timothy along the way at a town called Lystra. And then Timothy would go and journey with Paul on some of his missionary journeys. And then he became kind of Paul's right-hand man, mentored and oversaw churches and and was the guy to kind of help Paul on a lot of his journeys. So what does Paul say of him? You can read about this in verse 20 and 21. Paul says, I have no one like him. No one like Timothy. Timothy. And Timothy was genuinely concerned for your welfare. He's got a a concern, not not just for his own world, but for other people's welfare. And then he says, he served with me in the gospel, just like a son to the father. And you can start to see some of the ways that we can do friendships just by looking at the life of Timothy. 
And then we've got Epaphroditus. And we don't know much about Epaphroditus. He doesn't appear in any other book but, but the Philippians. But, but probably by his name, he's Greek and, and possibly um, kind of good looking. <laughs> no, it's serious. Because they named after the, the Greek goddess, beauty, Epaphrodites. Maybe he was a good-looking young baby. So there's lots of speculation around Epaphroditus. But what we do know is that he was like a brother to Paul. That he was a fellow worker with Paul. That he was more than that, a fellow soldier. Some people think he might have actually been a Roman soldier of some sort. But certainly now a soldier in the gospel. And certainly a messenger and longs to be with him, even in his sickness. So we get this picture of Paul, of Timothy, and Epaphroditus. And this idea that good friends are so important in life. And that Paul, through his friendships with these men, made great advances for the gospel. So, so here's the idea. To live a life worth living, you need good friends. Paul models that, Jesus models that, the scripture is full of it. But how, how do we do that? How do we make a life worth living with good friends? Let's pick up three key threads. And I'm hoping this will really help you practically, but, but stir you to, to, to see what this could mean. Here's the first, first idea. Make friends family. All right? Make friends Family. Now, Jesus, Jesus calls us his friends. Did you know that? John 15, 15 says, I no longer call you servants, but friends. Wow. He's talking to his disciples. He says, you're not, you're not my servants. You're my friends. You, you can be friends with the most high God. Friends. So Jesus calls us friends. Jesus brings us out from kind of the outside into the inside as friends. But the next step is to make friends family. And that idea of adopting us in. And the good things about family is this. Families eat together. It's the table. You gather around the table as a family. And there's that sense of communion. So think of the friends that you have just a good time with a good meal around that. What about being able to pick up the phone? I have two brothers and I ring them at odd hours of the day. Do you do that with your friends? You think, oh, it's past nine o'clock, I better not ring. Whereas, you know, sort of family, you kind of have permission to ring, don't you? Early mornings or late at nights, or I do, or I think I've got permission. <laughs> and so it's that ability to connect. I treat my family different. But you see, if we make our friends family, we've got that greatest sense of familiarity. We bring them into our world, into our table. At home, you don't need to dress up much, do you? You're okay coming down in your slippers, your Ugg boots, your flannelette, your tracksuit pants, whatever it is that you wear in the home. But that sense of being at ease at home, can you bring friends into that space? Or do you feel like you've got to, oh, I've got to do my hair and makeup and get the right clothes on? And I think, <laughs> no, I don't, I don't wear makeup. I shouldn't have given these people a person to heckle. No, I don't wear makeup. 
But that sense of, hey, come around. I'm in my house clothes. I've been out in the garden. I'm all dirty, but come, come around. The sense of enjoying people, no matter what, even your house. Maybe it's a mess. Maybe it's, maybe it's not what you want, but come. I'm in the middle of something, but come, you know? Somehow we've lost that sense of just, just come around, just knock on the door. We have to ring ahead or text ahead. Are you okay if I come around? When I was growing up, people just came around. I remember after church one day, I have relatives who live out at the lagoon. Right? And we just, just go and visit Artie so-and-so. And so we'd go and visit and knock on the door. Hi, come in. We're just about to make a cake. You know, there's, there's a great sense of freedom in family that doesn't always translate to friendships. But what I see here, Paul's view of his friends, he describes one as a brother and one as a son. Bringing them into the richness of family life, the chaos, perhaps the, the non-manicured view of family life, and making that, making friends family is a way to cultivate a richer, deeper experience with each other. So what does it look like for you? Are there friends in your world that you'd like to bring closer? To bring them into your world? It can't be everybody. Jesus clearly modeled that. But maybe there's three people that that relates to you. Just to, to bring them closer into your world. Even into the chaos and maybe embarrassment. And I'm not quite together as I should be. And, but that's what family is, isn't it? That ability just to be who you are without pretense or feeling like you've got to perform somehow. So the first one, idea I see in this text, make friends family. Second one, I love this, be genuinely interested in others. Now that's, that's what Paul says, he says in verse 28, I am the more eager to send him, Timothy, therefore that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. He's actually concerned about the anxiety, sorry, the, uh, the welfare of his people. He's actually wanting to make sure that they are okay. This, this idea of a genuine interest or a longing for the interest of others. You see Paul dealing with the idea of Epaphroditus coming and Timothy coming and going. The best friends are not self-absorbed. They're not in a world of their own. They're interested in others. Do you know those people? Those people who, who come in, tell me about what's happening. Talk to me about this, this and that. They know the names of your kids. They know where you work. They know the context. They know everything about you. They've got a good memory. They've practiced. They've rehearsed. What a picture of the church. They actually put themselves in their own need to talk last. Yeah, there are different personality types. There are talkers and there are not talkers. There are people who are engaged socially and you know, talk more readily and, and people are a bit more retiring. But if you put that aside, that genuine interest in the welfare of others comes through regardless of whether you're, you're sanguine or reflective or whatever you are. And so I, I see in this great concern that Paul is genuinely interested in the welfare of his people. So how do you do that? Ask questions. Ask questions. I, I spend my life asking people questions because I'm, I'm really interested in people. 
Ask them, what, tell me, what about this? And how did that happen? And where did you go there? And what happened here? And, you know, there's you just people are amazing. People are incredible. They've got amazing stories. They've got amazing history. And I, I just love finding out about people's worlds. And it's a great way to get to know people even in church. Uh, I have the privilege, you know, of, of knowing everybody. Uh, and I often come across people in, in church. You go, oh, no, I haven't met it. No, I don't know that person. No, no, no. And it dawns on me that not everybody knows everybody here. Sounds odd, doesn't it? But, but hey, there's a challenge. <laughs> Learn people's names in the foyer. Hang around. Go up to some people, particularly if someone's standing on their own. Go and say good day. Hey, look, I should know your name, but look, I've got a bad memory. Uh, that's what I do. I should know. Oh, look, I'm sorry. You just have to help me. It's okay. Don't pretend that you know, but you don't. You know, when you hopefully I'll catch the name in a minute because someone else will come up and say, Hey, Jeff. Ah, Jeff. Hey. <laughs> the tricks I've tried to play. Oh, just forget those tricks. Just look, I'm so sorry. I've forgotten your name. It's better than, Are you new around here? No, oh, no, I've been here for six months. No, no. <laughs> Tell me, you know. Where do you live? Where do you... Without interrogating people. But just be genuinely interested in other people. Learn their kids' names and learn their, the, the, the background. and That's kind of fun. So, so ask questions. This is how you cultivate a genuine interest in others that Paul expresses. Pray for your friends intentionally. Have you ever done the mistake that I've done that you say, oh, I'll pray for you, yeah, yeah, I'll pray for you. And you don't. So now I write it down. I say, hang on, and this is, looks weird, but I'm just going to write your name in my prayer list, okay, so I don't forget, and I will pray in the morning when I pray for people. That, that is a genuine interest in others, being able to pray intentionally for people that you meet. So pray for them, ask questions, pray for people. Um, go there. Go there. Sometimes friends need guiding, correcting. If, if you've got a genuine interest in others, as Paul does, maybe, maybe sometimes our friends need a challenge or a correction or a suggestion. Depends on how well you know them. You know, I love the scripture in Proverbs 27, 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but profuse are the kisses of an enemy. How beautiful. Have you ever had to challenge a friend and go, you know what, I am going to move out with my girlfriend yeah. Have you thought about that? Have you prayed about that? Oh, I'm too busy to go to church. I work every Sunday, and you know, I, you know, we we just we just don't have time for church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah fair enough. No. <laughs> Do you find that our world is looking for tacit agreement about the things in our life? That we we're wanting people to acknowledge what we think should happen, even if it's not. And so I often find myself going, yeah, 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 agree. Yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> Hang on. Have you prayed about that? Have, have you? I'm working heaps. I'm not spending much time with my family anymore, you know, but, but it's okay, isn't it? Isn't it? Do you hear the question? But it's okay, isn't it? I'm, I'm looking for approval right now, but I'm not going to give it to you. Because good friends would go, Hang on, your family's important. So why are you working so much? Why are you waste so much? Good friends, 
poke a little, challenge a little. I don't really read the Bible for myself anymore. I, I just follow a few people on the socials and that kind of feeds me. Yeah, that's what we do, isn't it? Uh, no, <laughs> it's not what we do. We, we engage with the Word of God ourselves. and we. So, you know, just, just being able to go, hey, can I, as a friend, can I just put an idea out there? Why don't you just pick up the Bible yourself once a day? Now, it's easy for me, pastoral thing, but friends, why don't we go there? Good friends, go there. All right, last one. So we had make friends, family. Second, be genuinely interested in others. This one, serve Jesus together. I know it sounds corny. I know I'm supposed to say that. But I tell you, serving Jesus together is the greatest way to form friends. It really is. Uh, having not just a common interest, but a common eternal interest. Not just a common interest, but a common interest that requires a fight. You know, warfare brings people together. Like Warfare brings countries together that would never, never been together because you've got a common enemy. Right? But, but serving Jesus together, we can do that, and it actually brings us together. And I was thinking about David. In fact, I was reading my daily reading. I was reading David right at the end of his life. He talked about his mighty man. Have you ever read this? Right at the end of 2 Samuel, it's probably near the end of his life, and David's thinking about his life, and then he goes, ah, oh, my mighty men. And if you know the story, David sort of found these mighty men from all the kind of misfits and people out of work, and like he just kind of built an army, but this army became his mighty men. And right at the end, this is 2 Samuel, I'll just read a little bit. He goes, these are the names of the mighty men that David had. Joshabathisheth, a Tachamanite. He was the chief of the three. He's got three. Right? See this? He wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. Like these guys are kind of champion warriors. And next to him among the three mighty men was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, son of Elohai. He was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel withdrew, and he rose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand clung to the sword, and the Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the men returned. You see, he's remembering the battles that they had together serving the kingdom. These were physical battles, you know, in these eras. In verse 11, And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Harahite. The Philistines gathered at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils. <laughs> Always gets me, that one. Never fight in a field of lentils. <laughs> and he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it and struck down the Philistines and the Lord worked a great victory. See, he's recounting the acts of his mighty man, the people who served the kingdom together and worked hard. And, and this incredible thing happens. They're in, they're in a sort of situation in verse 14 they were in a stronghold and David said lovingly oh that someone would give me water to drink from the well of Bethlehem see he was thirsty no access to water do you know what these three mighty men did then the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate carried it back to David but he would not drink it he poured it out and said far bit for me that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the men who went 
at the risk of their lives. Like they would risk their lives for David. And when he acknowledged that risk, he said, I can't, I can't drink that. I love these guys too much. The mighty men. Do you have mighty men, mighty women around you that you fight for the kingdom together? You pray together. You push things together. You take risks together. That's the kingdom. That's the stirring that we see. Beyond just doing life together, which is great, forming teams and scheming ideas of kingdom growth and advancement. It'll bring you great friendship. Let's grab the musos. I want to pray for you in a sec. You see, Paul had friends. He walked with them. He stayed with them. He visited them. He wrote to them. He was beaten alongside them. He preached alongside them. He sang in prison with them. He encouraged them. He disagreed with them. They worked it out together. You, you, you read the story of the New Testament. You read the Acts and then the Paul's letters. And you see the backwards and forwards and the genuine friendships and the things that go wrong and the things that got to work through. It's just life. But you see, that's just like we have now. It's just life. We've all got battles. We've all got situations. We've all got victories. But, but if we do it together, there's power. If we do it together, there's joy, there's freedom. So who are your three? I'm asking you as a friend. Who, who's, who's in your world that are like family, like Timothy and Epaphroditus? Who's that to you that can come around when you're in your pyjamas? Knock. You're in a mess. Just come in. It's okay. Who's in your world that will challenge you a little and maybe just press a few buttons and it's okay because they're doing it because they love you. Who's in your world that you can serve Jesus together and, and fight great victories together like David's mighty man? Who's in your world where you are genuinely interested in their welfare? And you ring them up at odd hours of the day and how are you going with that? And you might be thinking, I, I like that. <laughs> I don't have it, but I, oh, no one loves me. And that whole deal of, you know, to find a friend, you've got to be a friend. And be the first. Be the first to, to reach out and just go, hey, come and hang around. Let's just do life together. Let's just take it slowly, you know. But cultivate friendships. We see it right through the New Testament. And we see it in the design of God Himself. So let me ask you this question. Firstly, is Jesus your friend? Do you have Him as a, a friendship? I know He's Lord. I know He's God of all. I know He is powerful and almighty, but He's also the friend of sinners, the friend of ordinary people, the friend of people who get it wrong. Have you got a friendship walk with Jesus? That's the first thing. And then, who's your three? Who are the people? The men, if you're men, the women, if you're women. Not, not family, not spouse, just mates 
who walk the journey with you. If you don't have that, ask Jesus. Lord, can you help me find three-ish, you know, three people who I can just really do life with? Let's pray. Right now, if you don't know Jesus as your friend, I want you now to invite him. To Jesus, can I get to know you? You say you no longer call us servants, but friends. Lord, I'd like to be your friend. Come into my heart and help me. And if you're in that place this morning, I'd love to chat and help you on that journey. Come and have a chat afterwards. And now just think about your friendship world. Do you, do you have the three? If not, just ask. Jesus, can you help me have some good, solid people in my life to do life with, to have fun with, enjoy life with, eat together, and serve together. And you might just find that Jesus drops in a few names. And it might take some time, but that's okay. As you walk through life and intentionally be genuinely interested in others, you will find people come around you. So Jesus, I'm praying your blessing on every person here in their relational world that, that we would be like Paul and his friends in the early church. Amen.